Uh, take your Bible this morning and turn with me uh, to the book of Ruth. It's in the Old Testament. It's near the front. It's just a four chapter, a little short book. I've really enjoyed, I don't know if you have, but I've really enjoyed going through this chapter by chapter uh, exploration of this wonderful little book uh, in Scripture. If you've missed any of the weeks so far, you can go back to myfirstchurch.com, our website, and you can, you can find past uh, sermons. You can also go to our YouTube page. And you can just search First Church of God, St. Joe, Michigan, or whatever. I'm sure you can find it. Uh, but also we have a podcast play, place too, where any, uh, if you'd like to go back, you can get podcasts. So you're, when you're making your snowman later this afternoon, if you've missed a week, you can, you know, just pop in the podcast of the, of a, you know, message from the past while you're, while you're doing that. And let me just also say a, a, a good hearty welcome to those that are joining us online or by radio who were not able to endure the snowmageddon to come out today, but we're glad that you're joining us online. Uh, welcome. Uh, again, we're in chapter three of the book of Ruth. Um, and this, this really is just an amazing story. If you were just to summarize what the book of Ruth is, the book of Ruth is this amazing story, both of uh, Ruth and, and Boaz and, and their story, but it is just this wonderful reminder of God's love for us. And that's what we want to talk about today. As you think about the book of, book of Ruth, a really important thing that we need to remember is there's really are, are two things going on. There's what you could call the lower story, which is the story, the love story. It's Ruth and Boaz and how they eventually get together. And it's this, this girl from uh, the other side of the tracks, and she meets this rich landowner, and they have this wonderful, I mean, it, it, it's just this great story. So there's that. There's all of that. And, and Ruth and Naomi and how uh, you know, their relationship and their friendship, the mother-in-law and the, the, the daughter-in-law, and how they provide for one another. And so that's just, just, a, just a great story, just on its face, this lower story. But in Scripture, we always need to look for the upper story. And the upper story, just to ask yourself the question, okay, why, God, did you put this story in Scripture? What does this have to speak to us? What does it have to say to us? And there are some tremendous implications of what this upper story means for us. That this upper story is this picture of God providing a way for us, just like God provided a way through Boaz for, for Ruth and Naomi to be redeemed. And we'll talk about what that all means and looks like later, but it's this grand, what you could say is a meta or grand, this big meta narrative of this big story of how God is continually in this pursuit of, of, of people that are outside, outside of the family, outside, but just how he loves us and he wants all of us to be in relationship with him. And so it's this big story. So let's make sure that we get the big story, the upper story, as we look at the lower story. Let me give you a little uh, uh, just summary in case you missed maybe last week or the week before. Here's what's going on. First two chapters, 30,000 foot level. So the story starts with Naomi and Elimelech, and they've got two sons. There's a famine, so they're going to leave the promised land to go try to survive the famine. And so they go to this neighboring region of Moab. Now we can all look at that and say, well, they should have stayed in the promised land, which is, you're, you're correct, but they decide to, to go, and so they do. Their two sons marry two daughters from Moab, so Moabites. And so things seem to be going pretty well until Elimelech, the dad, and then the two daughters, or two sons, all three of them die. So here is Naomi with her two daughters-in-law. Now, no way, widows in this culture, it was a huge thing, Don't, no way really to care for themselves, but they hear that back in 
Bethlehem, where they're kind of the region of Bethlehem, where they're from, things have gotten better, so they decide we're going to go back. And Naomi, the mother-in-law, says, hey, girls, there is nothing for you where I'm from. It, I don't have other sons you can marry. There's no way I can help you out. You just need to go home. And the one daughter, daughter-in-law, does. But Ruth says no, and famously, no, your people are my people. Your God's my God. I'm going to go where you go. And so she does. And so she, uh, you know, she, they go. The only way that they can survive, they think, is, is that Ruth is going to go and she's going to follow the, the harvesters because it's the, the harvest is coming in. And so she's just going to follow, which is in the culture of their way. She's going to follow along as they're harvesting and just pick up what they have dropped. And that's a provision in the law that you had to let people that are poor in poverty or foreigners in the land, you had to let them what's called glean the field. And so they're just picking up and they're, you know, able to survive through that, having that food. And then Boaz shows up. Boaz is the guy that owns the field. And he's thinking, uh, who is that that's in my field gleaning? And so the, the guy that's in charge of the field, he says, well, that's, that's Ruth. She's a Moabite. She's here. You remember Naomi when they came back together? And, and so he, he uh, friends her on Facebook and he starts, you know, you know follow her on Instagram and TikTok, and so they're, you know, connecting on social media, and, and the, the development of the relationship has, has started, and, and what, when she goes back, Ruth, to, to tell Naomi about this guy that she met that owns the field, she says, well, he's related to us. He could potentially be your kinsman redeemer, and we're going to talk about what that means. Kinsman redeemer is, again, a provision in the law where if somebody fell on hard times, the kinsman redeemer could come in. Maybe they had been sold into slavery. The kinsman redeemer could buy them out of slavery. The kinsman redeemer also, if somebody killed a relative of yours, whoever the closest relative would go and he would make, they would make that right. So that kinsman redeemer, that was another thing a kinsman redeemer would do. But in this case, the kinsman redeemer, if there was a a family member uh, that was widowed, then the next closest relative could come in and marry that widow, if they were unmarried, marry that widow, and then have children for that, 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 that family member that had been lost, had died, and that land could also stay in the family. So that was just, again, a provision in the law. And so that's what was potentially going on. And so with all of that said, the harvest now has been, is wrapping up in chapter 1 and chapter 2. Now we find ourselves in chapter 3. Let's see what happens in Ruth chapter 3, verse 1. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Part of that lower story is the relationship that the mother-in-law has with the daughter-in-law. It's a beautiful relationship, a connection as they are helping one another and providing for one another. And so Naomi, she wants to, and she says it, I want to provide for you. I want to see, see that you find rest. I want you to find a home and a, and a family and to find security. And she says, a great way to do that is, is if you would marry Boaz, if Boaz would see you and he would be your redeemer. And so I want to be sure that you're taken care of. And so she hatches this plan to play matchmaker. And if you've been around the last couple of weeks, and if you're, as we said last week, if you love Hallmark movies, you saw it coming. Boaz shows up in his flannel shirt, and Ruth, or May, uh, Ruth is that, you know, that, uh, that outsider that comes into this little, you know, little town, and they're eventually going to get together, and we see the handwriting on the, on the wall. And so Naomi's going to help make that happen. She's the matchmaker. 
Anybody that's married, did you have a matchmaker? Anybody have somebody that played matchmaker in your relationship, those of you who are married? Anybody that inter- maybe introduce you to somebody? I, and I was in college when Crystal and I met, and my roommates were the matchmakers. My roommates, they would go to Crystal, and they'd talk to Crystal, and then they'd come to me, and they'd say, you know, we talked to Crystal, and if you ask her out, we think she would say yes. And they'd go to Crystal, and, and you know, I think David might. We can talk him into it, and I think if, and so would you if he, and all that. So my roommates were like Naomi, and she plays matchmaker with something that was, something they did in their culture, and so our matchmaker, Naomi, shares the plan. And here's the plan. Boaz is going to be at the threshing floor. And so you should go to the threshing floor tonight. Uh, how, how she knew he was going to be at the threshing floor, who knows? But matchmakers have their, have their ways. And so she knew. And so she says, uh, won't you go there? And so it was harvest time. And at the end of the harvest, they would take all the stuff that had been harvested, the grains, and so this is barley, so this is a type of grain, and they would take it and they would go to the threshing floor, a big high flat place and maybe the top of a hill, and maybe a big stone that was there or something that was really hard, and they would beat out the, 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 the barley, the grains or whatever, and so there would be the good stuff, but there would also be the chaff. And you got to get rid of the chaff, the, just the pieces of the, the stalk or whatever, so you can get the good stuff that you eat and sell and whatever. And so they would go to the threshing floor. And so they would take it, and it's called winnowing. So they would have a, a winnowing fork, which is, think, pitchfork. And so they would just take the, the and just imagine this barley's kind of been smashed up now, and so the seed has been separated from the chaff. And so, so they would just throw it up, and on top of this uh, hill, in a flat place, to be a good breeze, and so he goes at night, so there's a good breeze, and so he throws it up in the air, and the chaff blows away, and the seed, which heavier, falls down. And so they would just do that over and over and over. And so they would separate the chaff that they didn't want from what they did want. And so at the end of it, there would be a pile on this threshing floor, after a lot of hard work and a lot of throwing it up in the air and down, there would be a pile of the good stuff that they wanted that was left. And so that's what he was doing. Now, machines do that in our day, but that's what uh, they were doing. And so Naomi knew that Boaz would be there. And again, f- don't forget the time. So this is as in the time of Judges, and it says of that time that everyone did what was right in their own eyes. So it was a, in an era when it wouldn't be safe to leave your harvest, that in the, 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 the proceeds of your harvest, this big pile of the stuff that you want to keep and sell and, and survive the, the rest of the year on, you wouldn't just leave it there overnight. Somebody might take it or steal it. And so he's going to stay there. He's going to protect his investment. And so that's what Boaz is doing. He's protecting his investment. And so Naomi goes on with the rest, our matchmaker, with the rest of the plan. This is what she says. Now he's going to be there. And so when you go, before you go, wash yourself, therefore, and anoint yourself and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he's finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies and then go and uncover his feet and lie down and he will tell you what to do. Does anybody else think this is super weird? <laughs> like, what? what is all of this? And so let's just talk about it and understand the culture of the, of the day. Here's Naomi playing matchmaker and she tells the widow, this Ruth is a widower, and in their culture, uh, so when someone was widowed, they would then wear the, uh, uh, the, the wear things that would just speak to, whether it's black or whatever we th- kind of think of. So they would wear what would, they would identify her as a widow. And so she, she'd probably been wearing that. And so 
part of what Naomi is saying is, hey, why don't you, you, you need, it's time. If you're going to go to Boaz and, and we're going to set you guys up, uh, then you need to just show him that you're available. And the time of, of mourning is over and you're saying that you're available. Now, another thing is Naomi is just getting very super practical uh, just understand what had been going on, what had Ruth been doing every day. She's been going out. She's been working hard in the fields. This is in the days when you didn't necessarily bathe every day. And so if she's going to go present herself to Boaz as, you know, I'm, I'm now available, it's probably not the worst idea in the world to make sure you, you're, you've bathed. Okay, everybody get that? All right, it's not the worst idea. Okay, now... This is what, what we recognize too is that this is not this is good advice for guys and girls, right? Okay, so guys, if you're trying to get the girl, you probably should bathe and you should put some clean clothes on, you know, that doesn't look like you just got out of bed, okay? So, this is great advice for, for all of us, and so it's what she's saying. And, and so, you wait, he's after he eats and he drinks, he's, he's through doing the hard work of the of, of winnowing the harvest, and then when he lays down, go and uncover his feet. and and I know that some of you probably, uh, you, you think about that, what, what, what's going on? Is something, you know, kind of sketchy that's going to move quickly into, you know, PG-13 or more? Kind of, I really don't think that's what's happening here. Because when you look at what, what, how they're described in other places in Scripture, and in, in here, they're described, both of them, as people of integrity. So I don't think anything is, is going on here. Uh, she's just saying, I want you, you, you should do something that's going to, in this space where you can have a private conversation, you know, the, the, the harvest has been going on, and so there's been people everywhere, and so for you to have a, a conversation where you can say to him, you know what, I, I'm now available, and I would love for you to be my redeemer, I'm open to that, if you're open to that, to have that private conversation, and for them to talk about that, um, this is a great place to do that. And so, and so, so go, uncover his feet, and so that's going to going to wake him up. It's going to show him as you lay at his feet. It's going to show him humility. And so that's what's going on. Show him respect. That's what's going on. Not anything else than that. And so what that's doing is showing Boaz, Ruth is going to show Boaz in a, in a private, honorable, respectful way that I'm available. And again, it seems odd, but this is the cultural norm of their day. Let's, let's try to interpret Scripture from, from the norms of their day, not through our lens. And so in verse 5, and she, Ruth, replied, all, all that you say I will do. And so she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. And then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. Now, we've talked about this before, but one of the things we need to look at in Scripture are things in Scripture that are descriptive, where it's describing something, and then at other times, we, what we see in scripture, in scripture are things that we would say are prescriptive, so it's prescribing something that we should do. And what we see here uh, in this story is, is what we, we would call something that's descriptive. It's, 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 we read it, and it's not saying you should go do this yourself— so in other words, ladies, if you're looking for a guy, do not try this at home, okay? This is not the, the methodology in our culture to get you a guy is to do what we see Ruth doing. Except again, it's not a bad thing to fix yourself up, put some clean clothes on if you're interested in somebody. That's not, that's not the worst advice in the world, okay? So, so again, these are, this, this is descriptive. 
It's describing what she did, not prescriptive, not something that we should do. She does exactly what Naomi tells her she should do. And so what we see is it's her going at the right time, in the right place, to the right man, in the right way. She comes humbly, she comes honorably to him, and to let him know that she's interested. The time of mourning, her husband has now passed, and now she's open. Now, what Naomi knows from being married and having two sons is that men are dense. And so she's helping him make sure that, that he's going to pick up the clue phone that's really kind of been ringing all along, but, but, but he's hopefully finally going to pick up the phone. And so here in verse 8, at midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet, and he said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. And this is really important what she says. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. The plan that Naomi tells Ruth, the matchmaker tells Ruth to do, to go and tear his feet and to lay there and, and just wait, uh, what you notice is it worked. Now, I don't know about what it would take to wake you up in the middle of the night, but somebody uncovering my feet, or you know, that probably worked. The other thing that worked for me last night was my 90-pound dog standing three inches from my face as I'm laying in, my, in the bed, and she's panting and whining, needing to go out. That worked, too. That woke me up. And so, so, so that worked, too. But, but what Naomi said, just lay at his feet, uncover his feet, and that's, it, it works. And so he wakes up. And he's, well, who, you know, it's dark, and it's hard to see, and so who is that? I mean, would probably startled him. Who is that? And she says, and again, this is really important, spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. The time of mourning's over. I'm here, I, you know, I would invite you to, to, and she's being, she's, she comes humbly, but, but she's, but this is a, she's putting herself out there. She's asking. And just, if you were here last week, you remember maybe the little story that I told of the, the, the chicken the hen that we saw when we were on vacation and had these little chicks and they would run under the wings of little mom and they would stick their little heads up and look around and then go back under her wing. And that's the picture of what she's saying. Spread your wing over me. I'm, will you help me? Will you provide for me? I recognize I can't do this on my own. Would you be my redeemer? And that's what she says, for you are a redeemer. That word goel is a word that we see through scripture and it is a rich, rich word. It's a word that's translated other places, this kinsman redeemer, this idea that we talked about and we, we share this kinsman redeemer, that the redeemer could step in when a family member had gone through a tough time. Maybe they had, had to be sold into slavery, as we said, and this kinsman redeemer would buy them back out of slavery or the kinsman redeemer, they'd fallen on hard times and, and maybe their husband had died and so they're widowed and, and that's the exact situation here. They would come in and marry the person and then they would be a family and, and that, that the, the land and whatever would stay in that family. And that's exactly what was going on here. God had made this provision in their culture and Boaz is related in, in some way to them, and he could be their redeemer. And so that's what Ruth is asking of him. And let's see his response in verse 10. And he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You've made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, don't fear. I will do for you what you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. 
Yet there is a Redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. I'll redeem you. If, if He will redeem you, good. Let Him do it. But if not, if He's not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until morning. Boaz is blown away by her interest. I mean, why would, why would he, he's thinking, you know, you've been, you're, you're the first kindness you showed, and he's really talking about the kindness she'd shown to Naomi, and you've shown this first kindness, and now here you are, and, and you're showing this kindness to me. You know, you could have gone after younger men or richer men or somebody else, but you've, you, you, you've come to me, and, and, and the answer is yes, I would love to do that, but, but actually there's somebody that's, that's, that's closer, he says. I, I think of the that, that movie Tombstone, you guys remember Tombstone? I can just hear that word, him saying to her, yes, I'll be your huckleberry. <laughs> yeah, I'll be your, I'll be your hero. Yes, I, I will do that for you. But there's someone that's actually closer, um, closer to you than me that's in line before me. And so what, what, do you think that, what do you think that means? That means, if you think about it, that he's been making the list. He knows who the closest relative is, and he knows that there's someone in front of him, so he's interested, in other words. Because he, he knows the pecking order of who's next in line to be the kinsman redeemer. Look at how he, he describes her in verse 11. For my fellow townsmen know that you're a worthy woman. Again, he's interested in her. And he's telling there's somebody closer, and I'll go talk to that person, and if they're unwilling to redeem you, then just know, you can take it to the bank, that I will redeem you. So just stay here till morning. Again, this is in a time when everyone did what was right in their own eyes. It wasn't, you know, safe for a young woman to be traveling around all over the place by herself. And he said, just stay here where it's safe. I'm here. I'll protect you until morning. And then we'll, all, we'll work it all out tomorrow. And either I or this other guy that's a closer relative will redeem you. And this is what, as we see the rest of the story. And so she lay down at his feet until morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor, and he said, Bring the garment you're wearing and hold it out. And so she held it out, and he measured out six measures of barley. So she like, takes her cloak and holds it out, and he just scoops six heaping scoops of this barley that he's just winnowed and, and separated it. And he put it uh, on her, and then she went into the city. Now, I don't know whether he's saying to her, You know what? I just want you to know how serious I am. So take this super valuable uh, barley and take six big heaping scoops, which would have been a big, huge deal, and I want you to take it just to guarantee that, that one way or the other I'm going to redeem you. Or maybe he's trying to protect her rep reputation. She's been out all night, and he doesn't want her to go back empty-handed, and people are wondering what she's been doing, but to go back with all this, all this barley is going to be a way to, to let them know that she's not been doing anything you know, odd or, or wrong. And so whatever the reason, he sends her then away with all this, with all this grain. In verse 16, and when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did, how did you fare? <laughs> Name we ask her. How did you fare, my daughter? In other words, the, the, she's asking, you know, are you still a widower? Or is there some impending engagement that I can anticipate? Am I going to get something in the mail to invite me to the wedding? Or, or what's the next step here is what she's asking. Did my matchmaking work? In other words. And then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me. For he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. And she replied, Wait, my daughter. Be patient, my daughter, until you, re until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. In other words, one way or the other, 
Boaz is going to take care of it. We can trust him. Look at this big haul of barley that you got. So, so he, he's, you, you can trust. He's a man of integrity. You can trust him. Just be patient. He's going to take care of it just like he told you, just like he promised. And so like last week, in the few minutes that we have left, let me just give you three things that I think that if you've never invited Christ to be your Redeemer, that are really important for you to understand. And so I want you to, again, if you've never invited Christ to be your Savior, your Redeemer, I want to share with these, these three things. And if you have, it'll be a great celebration as you think about what Christ has done for you. And then I'm going to end with three questions that we would add to these, to these other thoughts. If you have invited Christ to be your Redeemer, that I think will be a practical application for you. So let's look and see what he has to teach us here. Okay, so rec- first, recognize your need for Redeemer. Both Ruth and Naomi had gotten to a point where they recognized they couldn't do it on their own, that they needed a redeemer. Naomi is going to work her matchmaker magic. She recognizes that if Ruth's going to be, be taken care of and going to get beyond just sustenance, you know, picking up the scraps from someone else's as they're working in their field, that she needs to be in, this, in, in a relationship beyond herself, that she needs someone that can provide for her and protect her. And again, think about their culture. She needed a redeemer. And Boaz, God had placed uh, Boaz in their life to be that redeemer. It was just this perfect situation. Uh, Naomi recognized it, uh, this need. And so as we think about who God is, and we think about what God wants to do in our lives, have you recognized your need for a redeemer? Have you got to a point where you recognize, you know, I can't do this on my own, that I... That, that, that I've been trying to live my life on my own. I've been trying to be my own God and do my own thing. And I just see how it just keeps the, the issues that I keep having. Can you recognize your need to find forgiveness and grace and invitation to the family that God has for you, the purpose that God has for you? And that's what we see in the story, that God, God our Redeemer, has put, the, has put Christ in our path you're here today, and he wants to buy you out of, back out of the slavery of sin. He can be your kinsman redeemer if you'll let him today, the redeemer Jesus. Just like Ruth recognized it, have you recognized your need for a redeemer? Secondly, have you humbled yourself before the redeemer? We go back to the chapter. We look at Ruth, and not only does she recognize that she needs a redeemer, and so she goes to Boaz, but when she goes to Boaz, how does she, how does she approach Boaz? She, she comes humbly before him. She doesn't come demanding, uh, you know, you need to do what's right by me. <laughs> she, she doesn't come with that attitude. She lays down. She shows him humility. And as we think about Christ and his desire to be in relationship with us and us understanding that he is this potential redeemer in our lives, we need to come humbly. We need to recognize that we don't come deserving redemption. We don't come deserving his forgiveness. We don't come because I've been good enough or I'm holy enough or I'm righteous enough and, and, and God would be lucky to have me in his family and having those attitudes, but we come humbly recognizing that except for the grace of God, you know, who am I? That God would love me and that Christ would die to, for my sin. And so to recognize that, and so to humble ourselves before the Redeemer, and then the third thing, the last thing, to just trust the work of the Redeemer. 
If you remember what, what Boaz did, he heaps up these six measures of barley. And it's like this guarantee that, you know what, I'm going to take care of this. You can trust me. You can trust that I'm going to take care, of, take care of what I said I would do. Tomorrow, one way or another, you're going to have a redeemer. And then do you remember what Naomi said when she comes home? What Naomi said, wait, my daughter, you need to have patience, my daughter. The NLT uh, translates that way, be patient. And so Naomi's saying, you can trust Boaz. What Boaz said he would do, he will absolutely do. You can take it to the bank. And in the same way, what we see Scripture describe that Christ did for us on the cross, we can, we can take it to the bank that he will do all that he said he would do. When, when, when Christ said, I'm going away and I'm going to prepare, prepare a place for you and I'm going to come back to take you to be with me, that's Jesus promising us that as we put our faith in him, that one day when we die and when, when this life is over, he will come back to take us to be with him. Can we trust him? And the answer to that, we can absolutely trust the Redeemer. Have you trusted the Redeemer? So, some of you have never invited Christ to be your Savior, to be your Redeemer. And we're going to pray in just a minute. I'm going to give you a chance to invite Christ to be your Redeemer today. But if you have, if you have invited Christ to be your Redeemer, let me just, just ask you a couple questions as you think about that. Because it's wonderful to just remember all that Christ has done for you and all that He's done for you as, as your Redeemer, but... But just let me ask you a couple questions. If, again, if you consider yourself a follower of Christ, here's the first one, based on what we just said. Do you recognize your, the need for a Redeemer? And then, do you still understand that need? Do you still understand your need for a Redeemer? I know that for some of you, you've been a follower of Christ a long time. Some of you, you've been a follower of Christ longer than I've been alive. And I know I'm getting old. And some of you have been a follower for a long, 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 as I look around time. Others of, you, others of you are pretty new to the faith. But has it gotten old? Do you still recognize what Christ did for you? How much you needed what he did for you? Has it gotten old? And you might be a wide-eyed, sanctified, blood-bought, spirit-taught, Bible-toting, stripper-quoting, Satan-bashing, blah, 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 follower of Christ. And you may think you're all that, but do you remember why? Do you remember your need? Never forget your need for a Savior. The second thing I would say, even if you've been in the faith a long time, do you still have a hunger for more? Are you content with what? God has done for you? Are, are you just content with where you are? You know what? I'm okay. I'm good. Been there, done that, got the t-shirt. I've been in Bible studies. I've done this. I've done that. I'm good. I, 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 don't, I don't. Are you hung? Do you hunger and thirst after righteousness? Do you, as the as scripture describes in the, to the psalmist, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul longs for you. Do you still long for the things of God? For God to do that new thing? One of the things I've felt like God's been impressing on me is to pray for revival. To pray for revival in my own life. And I've been praying for that. I, this morning, I was up in my office before probably a lot of you even got up, just walking around praying. Praying, God, revive me. Do something new in me. And revive this church. Revive us 
Do you hunger for more of God? And the final question, if you have trusted Christ as your Redeemer, has your trust wavered? Is your trust wavering? Is maybe there's a situation that you're struggling to trust the work of the Redeemer? Maybe there's some loss that you've experienced or some lack that you're experiencing and it's caused you to struggle in your trust of the Redeemer. Maybe there's some kind of disappointment that you felt that God didn't intervene like you thought that he should or you hoped that he would. Maybe there's some situations that you, you know, it's just hard and you, you thought it would get better and it hasn't gotten better and so you're just struggling. Are you struggling to continue to trust the Redeemer? And what we see in this story is that Ruth is this outsider, and Naomi, and, and they lived in Moab for 10 years, and then they come back, and after their, their spouses had all died, and they come back, and then they have to, during this whole harvest time, they've got to follow along behind people and just pick up the scraps of what they dropped in the field, and that's the only way they can survive. This is tough stuff. God didn't just just in an instant make everything okay that's not the story there's chapter one that didn't it wasn't so great and chapter two that wasn't so great and here we are in chapter three and all the crazy we don't quite under, quite understand what all is going on in chapter three and it's only in chapter four that we see it working out and some of you are living your lives and it's chapter one or it's chapter two or it's chapter three and can you just trust that god at some point is going to get you to chapter 4. And friend, the chapter 4, the reality is it might not even be in this lifetime, but that there's eternity in store for you and that promise that Jesus made that he's coming back and that this is not our home. Maybe for you, that's your chapter 4. But friend, hang on. In the words of Paul to the church at Philippi, I am certain of this, God that he who began a good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Jesus Christ returns. Will you trust that God has a chapter four for you? And invite our worship team to come back up. And as they come back up, I said at the very beginning, I want to give you a chance. If you've never invited Christ to be your redeemer, this is your chance. God loves you. God brought you here today once again, not by chance, but he wanted to remind you of his great love for you. This story is a beautiful love story, and certainly there's a lot of cool stuff going on between Ruth and Naomi, and it's, it's just a wonderful story. But there's also this big upper story that you are the one, you are the protagonist in the story. You are the, you're the, the main character of the story that he wants to redeem you. And he brought a Boaz into your life to redeem you. And your Boaz is Jesus. He can be your redeemer. And so today, I'm going to pray, and these altars will be open, and we have the great opportunity to be in this, in this room today. These altars will be open. You can respond online as well, but these altars will be open, and I would invite you to come, and we'd love to pray with you. We've got some people that would love to pray with you to invite Christ to be your redeemer. That just like Ruth, in humility, bowed there at the feet of Boaz, we can kneel and we can bow and we can invite Christ to be our Redeemer. Would you do that? I'm going to pray for us. And maybe if Christ has been your Redeemer, I would just invite you to think about those questions. Do you still understand your need? Has it gotten old? And today you could just be reminded as we sing, 
about what the Redeemer, what that means for him to be your Redeemer? Have you, have you kind of got old and, and you don't hunger and thirst after righteousness anymore? Maybe today that God could just speak to you and you could just lay it all out to him again. And maybe for those of you who have, your trust has wavered today, you could just re-up and you could just tell him whatever's going on. You know what, I've, I've struggled a little bit, God, but, but I know that you're there and there's going to be a chapter four for me at some point and I'm going to hang on and I'm going to trust you. We often say here, we'd love to help you on, in that journey and we're going to be here and we'd love to pray with you but also a great way to, for us to give you some resources that would be helpful to you. You could text the word Jesus to 269-231-8692. Again, text the word Jesus to 269-231-8692. We'd love to give you some resources follow up. But won't we stand today? And today is your day. Won't you stand? And as we stand, and we're going to sing this final song. And as you stand, if you'd like to come and invite Christ to be your Redeemer, you come as we pray. Father God, we love you. We're going to sing this song, God, and as we sing, as, we remind, as it reminds us of, God, what you've done for us through Christ, our Redeemer, God, I pray for that person today that needs to respond to you, that needs to invite you to be their Redeemer. And God, today, I pray, whether it's at their seat or here at an altar or online somewhere, Father, I pray in Christ's name that you would just bring conviction in this place, that you'd help them to rec recognize their need to confess their sin before you and invite Christ to be their Redeemer. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.